Thanks, Susan. Hi, Bridget. Can you Th- thanks for coming. And uh, I noticed you cut your, you know, your talk was a little bit on the short side. That's not typical for politicians. <laughs> I'm a brief politician. <laughs> I say what I say <laughs> quickly. Bridget, I was wondering if you could uh, relate to us a little bit about what the uh, Premier Redford is all about. You know her personally, and uh, we probably don't uh, see the personal side of her. Could you uh, fill us in a little bit? Um, yes, I can a little bit. I've certainly known Allison since she was 14 and uh, way back in the uh, PC Youth uh, Association. And I certainly haven't had that much um, to do with her since she's come back after 10 years of international experience. But I do know that she is exceptionally bright, very, very quick, and doesn't really um, hmm, doesn't really stand for a lot of nonsense. I think if you go in and speak to an Alison Redford, you better be prepared, you better know your stuff, and you better have your background material with you to be a- able to argue a point. She also listens very well, but as I say, you have to make your point. And as a person, um, I've always found her really warm and lots of fun. Uh, And um, I've watched her. I've been at a number of social events with her, and I've certainly watched her with her daughter. And um, very devoted, very devoted to her daughter. And her husband is one that I should have had. Um, (laughs) He's very supportive and happy to be in the background. (laughs) So... In fairness, in fairness to Allison, you know, four weeks, she has come out of nowhere. She is up against 40 years of entrenched thinking. So we really do have to give her a chance to get her feet on the ground. And I think another thing that we will see is that after the next election, I, I believe that we, a lot of uh, the more mature members um, may not run again. And that then we'll see how this is going to shake down after the next election. And I think that if she has more people that she doesn't have to fight against, we may again see a, a different Allison. I mean, Allison's always been called a red Tory, and I, I, think that that, I think that that is probably a good description for her. I think that um, she came up through the Lougheed era. She came up through when people knew what a progressive conservative was as opposed to a conservative, and there's a huge, huge difference between the two. So let's just give her a chance. I'm not prepared to sit back and, uh, you know, keep patting her on the head. I've already asked a few questions that were rather pointed, and in fairness to her, she did sit in the House for all the question period. Usually the Premier will do three questions and then go off to other things. So it's a wait and see. It's a wait and see. Hi, uh, Ian McKenna. We, we had a, this a few uh, sessions ago with Rachel Notley, <coughs> the, mm-hmm. and the question was, uh, why do people keep voting conservative? Uh, so I wonder if you can uh, uh, give your opinion on that, and then, you know, I think uh, a second one might be uh, also, uh, why don't the Liberals and the NDP get together? Oh. Okay. <laughs> And be called and be called the Liberal Democrats, right? I don't know. <laughs> um, Ian, your first question was about why do people keep voting um, 
the PCs in. I remember when I was uh, campaigning in the last election, and I'd, I'd knock on a door, and somebody would say to me, oh, Bridget, for God's sake, yeah, we're going to vote for you, but what's your problem? Life is good. See my Dodge Ram? Paid for. Gun rack on the back? Perfect. Kids are going to Hawaii. My wife just got back from Paris. Life is good. What's your problem? And I think that's partly why people vote the same thing in, because we are very comfortable, we're very blessed in this province, and when 42% of the people only bother to vote, that means only 42% have a clue what's going on. So I think that that's part of it. And the other thing is, it's about the, um, uh, the public inquiry that we should be having, because it's about intimidation. And many, I'm sure many people even in this room, particularly those that are dependent on the government for um, grants and funding, know what intimidation is. And I think all we have to do is look at Dr. Swan. Um, and if that isn't intimidation, I don't know what is. He opened his mouth about um, Kyoto and was gone within 24 hours. I mean, that's the kind of thing that, that creates fear. And people don't want to rock, rock the boat when life is good. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I, I thank you for saying that you wanted my opinion. Uh, back to that husband of mine. Um, <laughs> he used to always say, oh, Bridget, you're so opinionated. And I can remember towards the end I could say, well, Peter, guess what? Now they're paying me for it. Uh, Van Christou. Oh, um, I, I'd like to preface any remarks I might make uh, by thanking you, Bridget, for being here today oh, and giving you. us uh, ta tackling a topic that we're all interested in. We want to know something about this new premier of ours. But I was really glad to see you focus in your talk on the problems we're having with the medical situation in this province. Um, any reading that I've done lately, uh, we're where it's costing us as Albertans more money than any other province mm -hmm. in, in Canada, and our services are not any better or may, maybe a shade worse <coughs> than in other, other provinces. So the inquiry, I think, is necessary. But I want to focus a little more on what you said about prevention. I really think that we're in a system here, and uh, to sound mm -hmm. like a broken record, because I've mm -hmm. brought this up several times in the past over the years, I think that in a system like ours, where our expectations, where the public expectation is so high in regards to what they want from the medical profession, that the only answer for being able to make, form a sustainable system is prevention, is for people <coughs> to take more responsibility for taking care of themselves and uh, not expecting this high level of, of, of treatment because we aren't going to be able to afford it. And uh, I was really glad to see you say that, and, if, and I feel strongly that if we don't uh, get this government to concentrate on prevention, that we're going to have a privatized system here before very long. Right. Um, I agree with everything you've said, uh, Van, and certainly prevention is huge. Um, I'm not sure where we start because our lifestyles have changed so much, we talk about obesity, and I mean, when all of us were going to school, of course there wasn't 7-Elevens on every corner, but the point was we were walking to school. Our kids aren't getting exercise. They might eat junk, but they're also not getting exercise, and that, that is a huge prevention right there. And one of the things that I've always believed in is that I believe that every school 
should have an RN. It may not have to be an RN specifically for one school. She could maybe handle um, three schools. Certainly a nurse practitioner could do those sorts of things. Get these kids when they're young. We have a huge, huge um, social, I think, problem coming up. We have a tremendous amount of uh, immigrants coming in, and some of those little kids have lived and been born in refugee camps. They haven't a clue how to brush their teeth, and they sure can't afford a dentist. There's any number of tiny little things like that that could help in prevention and bringing us forward. And I think the other thing with our, um, with our health care system in prevention, and they are doing a lot of work in terms of seniors, how to get seniors to do even just a little bit of exercise that helps their balance so that we don't have falls. And I was speaking with Greg not too long ago, and under his department, which is in innovation, they're looking at bringing in technology. And I, for one, am going to have to have many, many lessons on how to use technology. I can barely use my computer. But there's things like people will be able to do their own blood pressure, and it'll go into a computer. It'll go into a computer heavens knows where. But a lot of the monitoring and these sorts of things can be done from a distance with technology. And I know that his uh, under-innovation in, um, in the education side of it, they're looking at things like this to help keep people in their homes. Now, that's wonderful from the healthcare side. But what are we going to do about the fact that they can't afford the taxes? And, unfortunately... The electricity, as we all know, is probably going to double over the next little while. So the government, it, it, it's all a, it, it gets so complex. It's all thrown into the same pot. But I think when people are healthy, both physically and mentally, a lot of the problems that they face are easy to handle for them. But if they're depressed and if poverty is one of the big things, you know, it's almost impossible for them to get ahead. And we're the ones that will end up paying the cost for that, both in health care and in, in the judicial system. So prevention, absolutely, Van, you're right on. We have to start when these kids are young, and we have to start with the families as soon as they immigrate into our country um, if, they've, you know, if they've come from these war-torn countries and some of these other horrific um, experiences that probably none of us would ever even imagine. So, yeah, um, certainly I know that Raj Sherman is very, very dedicated to the idea of prevention. And um, Dr. Swan has always never talked about anything else but prevention, and he and I um, do have differences on how that should be delivered. But anyway. <laughs> Just a second, please, Mr. Todd. Bridget, you missed, you missed the other half of Ian's question about the joining of... And I thought perhaps you'd like to address Okay, that. well, I, I, I sort of did very quickly saying, well, what would we be, the Liberal Democrats or the Democratic Liberals? I, I, I don't know. Um, this is a conversation that has come up time and time and time again. And, you know, I'm going, why not? This is ridiculous. Why not? Look at the examples that we've seen. How long did it take Stephen Harper to become a conservative? I mean, weren't there five different name changes? Weren't there five different ways of moving people around until they finally got what they wanted? Look at next door in Saskatchewan, how, how um, well Brad Wall did just last Monday. Huge majority. And it was because two parties went together to go against a party that had been there too long. It doesn't matter what the names are. It matters that a 
government should not be allowed to stay in power, certainly 40 years, but I don't even think a government should last more than 25 years. There has to be a cleaning out. It's just like your house. If you don't clean out the cobwebs, pretty soon you can't even see the corners. It's the same idea. So, yeah, I'm with you, Ian. Um, I don't know quite how you get the powers to be to, to do that. Um, and I think in our next election, because the um, NDs were so successful federally, that it's, um, it's given a real um, uplift to the NDs, uh, certainly in our province. And I think we're well aware of the bright young lady that's writing, running in Lethbridge West, Shannon Phillips. I mean, again, she represents what I think Alison Redford represents. And pat myself on the back, I think what my girls represent. They're young, they're educated, they speak a foreign language, and many of them have lived outside of the country. They are bringing a whole different perspective to our future. And I'm glad that our future's here now, and I don't have to wait 15 years for it, because in, hopefully then I'll have a really good nursing home. Thank you very much. My <clears throat> name is Frank Toth, and uh, I, I admit that I'm a personal friend in my second last article, I praised you yes, thank for you. being an honorable, thank you. finally a candidate that didn't grab that all that money out of that trough. You have given your 35%, 34% to some worthy cause. With an impending election coming on, you got two votes already. Thank you. One for that reason and the other one that you're a nurse. My articles, I call you people my guardian angels and you are as a nurse. So there's already two votes for you in the next election Good. coming soon. Now I'll, I I'll tell my campaign team to keep track of that. We got your phone number. Now that's my that's my oratory. Now the question I got two short ones for mm -hmm. you. Uh, number one, every time somebody says majority government, whatever here I got left stand straight up. Yes. Twenty three percent of Alberta voters put got a majority. Twenty four percent federal got a majority. What kind of bloody mathematic is that? Yeah. It, takes, it took generations to hone the electoral systems where they can't lose. That's why people don't. But people are not told us. Now, the first question is, your party or no party is talking about changing the election system at all. Why? Number two, as the owners of the so-called resources, over and over we're told, with the big blast of uh, pro and gone on these famous... Alberta to Texas pipeline, XL pipeline. How come the people that own these bloody horses are not even allowed, allowed to say something about it? Why don't we get more research? I have proof from the other general we are getting no royalties on Alberta, Alberta oil. <clears throat> the papers won't write it. The radio won't print it. It's all political, okay? What is your, uh, your, your political stand on? on why can't we have somebody if we were put out 10 more million barrels a day? send it to the Yankees that own it all already. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for that, Frank. Um, Bridget just let me read uh, a notice on her uh, BlackBerry that said that the spokesman for the Prime Minister has said that the XL pipeline is on hold and that they're very disappointed. So we'll, we'll see where that goes from there. And, I mean, as far as royalties go, yes, of course. I'm, I'm totally with you. I own those resources. And if I'm going to pay, let's go into the transmission lines. If I'm going to pay for those transmission lines, I want some of the reward back. I want a royalty back off of those transmission lines if I'm going to be forced to, to, um, to build them. 
And again, uh, I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but I'm going back to Peter Lougheed's. He had a good royalty regime in place. It was a very good one. And it didn't take long to get watered down under Klein and um, some of those guys. So, yeah, no, we are entitled to a lot more than what we get in this province. But the minute you sometimes get right into sharing, um, you're called a liberal and sometimes even called a worse a communist. So you, uh, you take the good with the bad, but yeah. And I'm sorry, your first question was? Oh, the ele- yes, of course. Well, we've, we've been talking about, certainly the Liberals, and certainly I have been talking about it, even when I was on city council, is we have to have a different way of electing people. And the PC's leadership, in my mind, got it right, because they were doing the uh, progressive vote, one, two, three. In my mind, their mistake was between the first election and the second election, they allowed more memberships to be sold. So, in fact, you had two separate elections. I think that in the first election, anybody that bought the membership, anybody that had voted, should be allowed to vote in the second, and that's when the votes get changed around and you in- can ensure a majority. But selling, selling the memberships in between, I thought, wasn't, you know, probably wasn't right. But that's the kind of system we should have. And it would mean changing a lot of our thinking in terms of the parliamentary system. But to have, um, and, and I'm the first one to say, um, I, I did not get a clean win either one of the times that I, went, that I ran. Yes, the majority of the votes were cast for me, but I had many votes cast against me if you put them together. You really should have to have 50.1% to say that you represent a jurisdiction. Not sure how we're going to get it, but certainly I've been talking about that for a long time. BC worked, oh, BC spent years and lots and lots of money of trying to bring in a different system, and it was voted down. So I think we just have to keep trying, because in my mind, we have to keep trying for fairness. Bev. Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you, Bridget. Um, It's a good thing I had my questions written down, because... uh, after your last two answers, I would be wanting to ask something else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in regard to Van's question, um, remember when Tommy Douglas brought in Medicare, the second part of his uh, plan was prevention, and that was never brought forth, and that was from the NDP. Um, I, I think it's amazing that we have Alison Redford as a premier. She's brilliant. She's educated. She's well-traveled. She's knowledgeable and articulate. This is really something for Alberta. <laughs> you were excluding me, right? As premier, premier. Um, I just want to say, let's not get too in love with her all at once. No, no. <laughs> um, as you said, she's battling a long tradition, <clears throat> and not just that, but people who her, who are trying to pull her back. Um, one of the things I'm most con- concerned about is the up and down roller coaster funding of the education system. And as a school psychologist working with Palliser, you know, we had to deal with that every single year of the uh, 17 years I worked with them. And it's still going on and it's even worse. So let's not get all excited about the 107 million. That was 60% of the amount that they took away. 60%. And every time they take away money and then give it back, it means that the school boards have to shuffle and fire people and cut down hours. And a kid's 
a year in a child's life or four months in a child's life in school can never be replaced. They just fall further and further behind. So this is a biggie for me. Um, my question is about the so-called poll or questionnaire about the priorities for the budget that uh, you can go onto the Alberta government website and you can actually put down what you think the the priorities should be for the Alberta budget. But I would caution you, I've got, I, you know, as a psychologist and, and uh, doing quite a bit of research in, in the Faculty of Ed, um, I know that this this poll is pretty tricky. So go to it and and read it. But my question to you is, why? what do you think this, this poll will do? Um, you probably remember the uh, Fred Horn health care poll when he went village to village mm-hmm. and city to city. And what came out of that? I mean, I was part of that, and there was nothing like what we said that came out. So... What are we to do about these, I will call them, fake polls that are given to, to Albertans? And then we're told we will have input into the budget. What, do you, what can you do, and what do you think we can do? Oh, thanks, Bev. That's a great question. Um, part of my answer is going to be uh, really political. I believe that some of what they take out of those polls, and certainly I think you all know that we had a secret meeting here. Not true. I still don't know who was invited. I was going to sit in the hotel lobby and find out, but I didn't have the energy. Um, I think what they're looking for, really, is probably not the how, but the what. What do people really want? What is their first priorities? Because we are in an election cycle, in my mind. And I think that that's what they're looking for from from their polls, is what is the... Is the majority wish? Is it is it health? Is it the economy? Is it education? Some of the research, some of the polls that I've seen, education is probably sixth down the line, which really amazed me. And that was taken after they got the 107 million back. And back to the 107 million, that 107 million has, as Bev has pointed out, has only brought them up to where they were from behind anyway. So the 107 million looks great, and yes, more teachers have been hired, and certainly more um, teachers' aides have been help, uh, been hired, which helps with the children that you would have been working with. But it isn't it isn't even close to being what it should be. Our city has a three-year budget. I was part of that process when we first brought it in, and it does work. There has to be, and I'm not sure if it should be a five-year cycle or a four-year cycle. But I certainly, more than three, but maybe not five, there has to be a cycle where the dollars can be counted on. You can't be waiting every at the end of every March trying to do a budget that you have to have out the next day. It just doesn't work. And it doesn't work for our kids, it doesn't work for the teachers, and it's not working for society. And should we be putting more money into education? In my mind, that's the only thing we should be putting money into. We aren't competitive with China, and we're not competitive with India. We belong in a global market, and our kids have to compete. And I'm not sure that they are competing, especially in Alberta. Look at the, the high dropout rate that we've got in high schools. Like, I mean, that's atrocious. We just simply are not competing. We're going to be 40,000 jobs short. And I was speaking to a fellow um, at the OPEGA, which is the Alberta Professional Engineers and a bunch of other people, um, And we were talking, and we were talking about education. 
And where, what's going to happen to these kids that drop out? They can't walk down the street and get a job driving a truck. He said, I wouldn't let my kids, uh, those, those, um, kids come and drive my truck. My trucks are all computerized. They all have GPSs in them. And they have this and that and another thing. He said, they have to be skilled. They must be skilled to work in today's market. So we have to put more money into education. We have to put more money into apprenticeship programs and certainly the trades. We have to turn around that idea that the trades are a default from university because that's not true. I know very, very many wealthy plumbers. Actually, the cleaning ladies aren't doing too bad these days either. Hi, Bridget. Henning Mundell. Thank you. Uh, question about uh, our new premier, Alison mm-hmm. Redford. Um, while uh, we have those high-profile appointments, like yesterday we hear about Bronconier to go into Washington, and, and of course her main potential nemesis, the putative front-runner Gary Marr to China. That was a wonderful consolation prize. I, I, would, have, <laughs> I would have liked the consolation prize better Especially than the win, the I think. Especially with the annual salary on that one. Yeah. Yes. Um, but my question really is, with this premier, with her decade plus of international experience, how do you think that will um, positively impact um, her governing style, especially if we contrast it to some previous premiers who had hardly ever been outside of the province, let alone seen the world? Yeah, I I think you're quite right. And certainly we're going to see... um, She's going to surround herself with people that are highly educated, for one thing. And the international experience that she brings, she'll be able to share with the people around her and they'll know what she's talking about. It's very, in this day and age, I think it's very important that you can have a big vision and really understand, you're not going to say it out loud, but you have to understand that Alberta really isn't the center of the entire universe. It is a part, but it's not the center. And I think that, again, back to education, Our kids in grade 11, all of them should have the opportunity to go to Mexico or Guatemala or whatever to help out. And then in third-year university, they should have a chance to go to another country and do community work at at the intellectual level or whatever, you know, whatever uh, faculty that they come from. We have to get a bigger world, and we really have to understand and be educated. Allison, I think, understands that. And I think the other thing that she does understand, um, just from having worked so closely with third world countries who are coming out of wars that it takes time. It takes time to get people at the table. It takes time to even talk to each other. And at our table, we were talking about what it's like in the States. Nobody talks to one another and everything's at a standstill. We can't have a world like that anymore. We have to go past that kind of thinking. Hi, Bridget. My name is Balbura. And I'm also the one who have lived in three countries, born in India, lived in England, and moved to settled in Canada. I have seen a lot. I was just not going to come up and ask you a question until you said that education is number six. That is the bloody problem. When education is number six, health care never going to be fixed. Poverty is never going to be fixed. So what are we going to do about education? You know, you had even in your talk, you didn't touch on education except the $107 million. Mm-hmm. To me, that is the thing to touch. 
we need to do something about education. 30% of the school, uh, high school dropouts, Alberta, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, you're quite right, Ed, and, and I agree totally. I think that education is the, is the key to a great many things. The other thing that we have to look at, and I know that we're talking about 40,000 jobs being short, a lot of those have to do with the oil industry. We have to diverse our, diversify our community. Not everybody can work in oil and gas. And we are educating people, but w where are the jobs? We have to be able to ensure that the jobs are there, and it's almost impossible to do. My granddaughter is nine. Well, no, let me take it up to a kid in grade 10 at this point in time. If they go to university, that'll be six years. They have no idea the job that they will have. It probably hasn't even been invented yet. So it's a huge, huge challenge for our educational system to be able to change with the times. Sitting and, and um, you know, memorizing times table just doesn't, it just doesn't cut it anymore. They have to be able to use their calculators and their computers. And I think all of us in this room know that if something's wrong with your computer, you call your four-year-old grandchild and say, fix it. And they do. So it's a whole new world out there, a whole new world. But yes, absolutely, education is the key to the whole thing. Hi, Bridget. It's Bonnie May. Uh, I usually ask the fracking question, but this time I'm not going to. Okay. So it's about CETA, the Canadian-European Trade Association mm -hmm. Agreement. Um, CETA. Is CETA? CETA? CETA. 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 Okay. CETA. Yep. It's about uh, privatizing some of the subnational services in the communities and big companies from Europe that uh, would do that. What do you think Alison Redford might do with that question? Hmm. They're discussing it in Ottawa. So. Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I'm not, you know, again, I can certainly not speak for her and I'm not in her mind. Um, I would think that as a red Tory, she isn't, I would, I would say that she certainly understands the power of capitalism, but I also think that she would understand that the money that comes from capitalism has to be used on the people, and that people are important. But if we make every single thing, every single thing a commodity, I'm not sure where we're going to end up. It's, I, it's not a pretty picture in my mind. Um, my column coming out on Friday talks about my little um, episode with gas company. And it's, they, they, they are going to turn on my gas. Well, it's another big long story. But anyway, um, I have people coming into the office who needs their gas turned on. And it has gone over the last year and a half from $42 to 90 like, if you can't afford to pay your bill in the first place, how can you afford the $90? But every single thing that someone does that we used to do as a part of our jobs or as a part of our society and a part of our life now has a price on it. Even volunteer organizations have become huge, huge uh, corporations. And now philanthropy is getting into that, and there's, a, there's a, a business for philanthropy, and they're going around telling everybody how they can be philanthropists. Like, everything is being turned into a commodity, and, you know, I kind of despair on that kind of thinking. So I think if we keep remembering that it's people that are important, we may win in the end.
Thank you very much, Bridget. We really enjoyed having you today. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>